Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to our Spotify Live live show. I don't know how else to call it. Uh, it's our live show. It's a week after the Detroit Lions NFL draft. We're going to talk about it all, but we are going to do it by answering all of your questions. That's right. It's our call-in show where you guys can join in live on Spotify Live. Um, fire up the app every Saturday morning-ish. Check the website for specific times. My name is Jeremy Rice, and I'm the editor-in-chief over at Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. With me, as always, are my two co-hosts of the Spotify Live uh, sessions. Uh, let's start with Eric. Eric Schlitt, the managing editor of Pride of Detroit, at Eric Schlitt on Twitter. Eric, how are we doing this fine Saturday afternoon? It is a beautiful day, and uh, I'm glad that we get to uh, spend some of it outside uh, having a conversation with you guys about the Lions. Yeah, and uh, we won't keep you guys too long so that you can enjoy some of that weather outside, or maybe you're listening to us while you're outside, in, in which case. Good for you. Uh, someone else who's hanging out outside while with us, that's our senior editor, Ryan Matthews, at Ryan underscore P-O-D. Ryan, how's weather? It, it's it's beautiful, uh, as Eric mentioned. It, it, you know what? You didn't even mention the possibility. Maybe you have really crappy weather, and you're no. spending some time inside, you know, with our podcast, listening to our musings. I don't think We appreciate possible. you, too. We appreciate you, too. That's okay. That's fair. You know what? That's fair. Maybe Maybe it's winter where you're at. The Earth works that way, I hear. Oh, wow, we have some the power of the power of podcasting, folks. <laughs> All right, let's tarry no further. Let's get into our first caller here. Uh, we've got a bunch of people on the line eager to talk Lions football. Uh, let's start with our good friend Dan. Dan, how are we doing, buddy? I'm doing really great. How, how are you guys doing? Great. Okay, well, I appreciate it. I, I, I think I ribbed you on Twitter last week saying I wish you could have done one on Sunday. I, I think I would have needed talking down from the cliff at that point. But <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you know, what's done is done. I think it was, I, I don't believe that uh, Brad would have picked him at 97, but, you know, him getting to 86 is, uh, is something else for me. But uh, um, Mal- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support Malik. Um, he's sort of, he's, he's like a Matthew. He's like a, you know, he's a Quandre. He's a Darius. Obviously, if we ever play him, and I hate this, I would hate for Malik to do a Matthew and freaking win the Super Bowl because Tannehill uh, <laughs> gets an injury this freaking year. Okay, so I've said it first, so it can't happen. Is that right? Or have I jinxed it to make it happen? Uh, look, let's hope you're not Akeem to leaving it. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> he is Nostradamus. Um, so apologies. I, I, you know me, I meander. But I wanted to ask you, Jeremy, and then I've got, I think, a split for the uh, for Ryan and Eric. But like my, my question for you is, and I want to give you a hats off and tip of the hat and all the other like, you know, fair play to you for saying that uh, talking about Brad and Levi on Zariki last year. And 
you know, if it's if he has that blind spot of this, like, no, you know, like like freaking Kevin Costner on draft day, like, you know, Levi Onzeriki, no matter what. And then, you know, Josh Pascal, no matter what. Um, I guess I have a side question to Eric that you never quite answered on your podcast. Did the Lions reach for, uh, on anybody in the draft? I think you talked about it and, and Joe was a little bit surprised. But OK, stop the meandering. Um, maybe maybe Jared Goff is that th- third pick of his that he's going to uh, live and die by. Because my question is how many wins, like how, how, how much would Jared have to do something in the bedroom that he, he should really do in the bathroom um, <laughs> before we would, I don't believe we're going to pick a, a quarterback next year. I, I think it's 2024 at the, early, at the earliest. I feel like we're sort of two years behind the Titans, you know what I mean, with Tannehill and stuff like that. But McVeigh only needed two years before he sent him off. I apologize for talking so long. Thank you. <laughs> no worries. Appreciate the, the question there, Dan. Uh, lots to unpack there. I guess let's start with the the idea that, that Brad Holmes is maybe keying in on guys. And and we talked about it a little bit, Eric, in, in terms of, you know, the whole idea of trading up. I know you're a lot more for it than I am, but it is kind of interesting. Like, he was really into Levi. He he said on 97.1 this week that, like, he was going to be very upset if they don't get Josh Paschal. And obviously they, they invest a lot of draft picks to, to go up and get uh, Jameson Williams. So, I, is there is there even a little bit of a concern with you, Eric, that that maybe they're being a little bit too keyed in on one or two guys? No, I don't think so. I mean, like with Paschal, um, he wasn't the only one. Like there were there were a lot of GMs that were disappointed that they didn't get the chance to to grab him. And so um, I, I get there's a couple things to I think that, that that factor in here. One, he's of course going to be pumping up the guys that he took. Right. So, I mean, that's the guys that we're going to be hearing about. Um, I, I, I doubt he's going to come out and be like, well, I really wish Dean would have fell to like 97. You know what I mean? Like he's so one, he's you're automatically like hearing the positives about the players that they picked because uh, they're on the roster. Right. He's, he, and so, but then again, I, I do think the idea of like having these specific targets is, is not unique to the lions. Right. Um, I believe he said that their draft board was around 160 players, right? But like, if you look at, you know, draft boards from all the the analysts uh, around the uh, around the NFL, like all your draft analysts, like they're putting out boards with like 300, 350, and, and when you like when you look at how many players the teams actually evaluate, that gets upwards of like six to 800 players. But they've narrowed that list down to only like 150, 160 players, and so automatically you're you've got this narrowed field of what you like and then of course you're going to fall in love with certain guys and and when you look at your board and you look at like how you want to approach the draft you're going to have favorites that equate to value and so with with um pascal like we thought you know when it happened okay, wow, this is a bit surprising. They just went Hutchinson at, at one, and so now they're going back to it. But but they have they, they had a clear plan. And when you listen to what, like, Todd Wash said about how they were looking for Pascal to play, like, a five technique and Hutch to play the, uh, the rush end, well, you have a couple of rush ends that are natural rush ends on this roster, but you really didn't have that kind of clean – five technique who can also be like an edge rusher. And so Pascal kind of gives them that. Now you have guys that can, that can fit in like Romeo can do it. I think you can like kick out like Brockers and, and play like a five technique at, at certain times as well. But I think Pascal kind of fit their vision for what they were trying to accomplish 
switching to the four three and just their long-term needs. So I understand falling in love with certain guys. Um, and so I, I don't think they really, I, I'm, I mean, on their board, they're not going to reach. Right. And I, I think the question of reach, it's hard to really evaluate because we don't really know what their board is. And, you know, we're just comparing things nationally, but I do think he had a game plan of what he wanted to accomplish, where he wanted to fill certain needs. And, and that's what they did. So um, I'm, comfortable with it. I'm comfortable with having a good game plan and a good approach. When you have that game plan in that approach, you end up having um, situations where you run the card up before you're supposed to, right? Uh, that shows confidence in your plan. And that shows, you know, what you want that you're following through with what you had planned on doing, as opposed to like being too reactionary, which is when, uh, you know, I think GMs tend to get in trouble. I think that's fair. Um, I'll throw it to you, Ryan. Do you, I guess you can answer whichever one. Do you think the Lions reached anywhere? And, and are you okay with the Lions going in with a plan that specifically might involve one or two guys and, and making sure they get those guys? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think what Eric said is most true, right? Like, we, we don't really have a, a great sense of, you know, what the what the Lions board looked like in terms of, you know, where players were and, and, and where the value was. We, we didn't get the benefit of having our, our owner show the entire – uh, show, show a bunch of cameras what the what the draft board was before our <laughs> before our son, Jerry Jones yeah before our son was like okay put that away dad <laughs> um, but uh, yeah w- without the uh, without the luxury of that I, I think I think what ends up happening is is you look at right you you look at the players and and where they were on all these draft guides you know that Eric's mentioning where you know Brugler's putting out you know 300 plus players and you know, um, this, that, and the next person are, are putting out these huge draft guides. And, and, and you look and you see, oh, Josh Pascal, well, he looks like he's a third or fourth round pick and the Lions got him in the second round. What are they doing? But I mean, you, you fast forward to draft day and all the talk was there was no way Pascal was getting out of the second round. And the Lions were just kind of in the spot where, I mean, they weren't picking again until until 97, right? So I, I think that was maybe you can call it a reach in, in that sense. Maybe, maybe Lions fans wanted to, you know, ideally maybe get him if they still had the 66 pick, but that was water under the bridge. Right. So, I mean, he was their guy. They wanted to get him. It, it sounded like they weren't going to have an opportunity uh, because they didn't have a, a pick later on. And I think you, you just get into like the min maxing of the draft, right? Like, Oh man, like Pascal would have been great at 66, but at 46, he's a reach. It's like, Okay, I mean, is there really that big of a difference? I I, I don't know, but uh, I I think to Eric's point too, like you see the Pascal pick and you see the Aiden Hutchinson pick, and it's like, okay, the Lions clearly have a type, and 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 they're and they're and they're fitting those types with with the guys that uh that they you know have evaluated. So I, a long way of saying I I don't know. We'll see if, <laughs> we'll see if he's a reach, right? But like, I mean, I don't think you can really call it that in the moment. Yeah, no, I, I don't have really any problem with the Josh Pascal pick at all. I, I think it may be in the moment. It was just surprising, and you were trying to figure out what exactly they wanted to do or what they were trying to do, but it really actually comes into pretty clear clarity if you if you just kind of look into it. Um, I, I, think, I think the trade-up for Jameson Williams is something that we'll have to monitor, right? Because anytime you trade up that much in the first round, and, and it's worth reiterating, they got a pretty darn good deal for trading up. They, they, they didn't pay out multiple first-round picks. They didn't have to dig in their 2023 stuff. That's that's all great, but you're, you're taking a guy with a, a, an ACL. You're taking a guy with one year of um, proven uh, production, and that's a risk. And so 
we'll, we'll see how that one plays out. But I think overall, it's hard not to be excited. So um, we're, we're going to have to move on, Dan. I don't know if we answered all your questions there, but we got a bunch <laughs> to get to. I'm sorry for taking anybody else's. See you guys. Uh, thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. All right, we'll go from Dan to Daniel. Daniel, you're on with us. How you doing, buddy? Hey, doing good. Hey, I want to send you guys some love. I really appreciate these uh, call-in shows. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I like the way you, you know, you uh, you debate. You're open to changing your mind. You're not just uh, taking a de- position and, and defending it. So yeah, um, makes me want to ask you good questions. You know, <laughs> up my game. So yeah, you're, you're creating your own... Uh, uh, sports fan culture there, so I appreciate it. Yeah. So, and I was thinking because a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> I asked you this question, and I think we had a good debate about the whole trade up, trade down, and then that that seemed especially pertinent with the with the Jamison Williams uh, 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 trade up. And um, you know, I I think I mean I think for me, I mean I, I think it's a really interesting discussion, and I you know and I, and I tend to do agree. I guess I tended to lean in 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 Jeremy's direction uh, about about it, and uh, but I was really interested in in Eric's uh, kind of forceful reply that he didn't have a problem with it. So I was thinking about it, and I and I wanted to like pose. Uh, uh, it seems to me maybe the question is not whether you're trading up or trading down, but whether or not you're getting value right. might be a better way to frame it. So I wanted to pr- propose like a, a counterfactual. Uh, for Jeremy, since you're skeptical of it, sure. Let's imagine. Let's imagine that, that the Lions went into the draft with picks two, twelve, forty-six, sixty-six, and ninety-seven. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we know the Lions pick number. They're going to pick Aiden Hutchinson at number two. Now, if the Lions, if we went into this, if we went into the draft with pick twelve. There would be a completely different discussion, right? Nobody really who was like Eric, none of you guys like really did any kind of evaluation on the wide receivers that that might be available then. There was really no thought given to it. And so, but if we'd had the number 12 pick, it seems to me the discussion would have been, well, maybe someone's going to fall to 12 uh, kind of like the Penny Sewell situation. Maybe there's somebody who's really good, who's a really good value, and because the you know other teams have different needs, or you know in the case of Jamison Williams, he has an injury, and maybe maybe this guy's gonna you know maybe this guy's gonna fall to us. So that could be Kyle Hamilton. That could you know, and and we'd have been certainly talking about the wide receivers. So if those were the picks, so I guess my question for Jeremy is if if those were the picks. And we came to it, and Brad Holmes uh, traded down. Yeah. I had a feeling this is where this was going. Yeah. Or maybe – or, I mean, another way to look at it is maybe – I mean, we know what would have happened. We know what would have happened in this situation. Brad Holmes would have pissed the NFL off another time. He would have rushed his card in. (laughs) But, you know, or maybe we find out later that, like, Minnesota had made this – you know, maybe, maybe, you know, what if Minnesota came up? Maybe what if he traded down? Minnesota came up, got Jamison Williams. We knew we were going to be facing him two times a year. Or maybe Brad Holmes made the pick, but we found out later that he turned it down. Right. So it's, you know, I mean, I, these circumstances. Yeah. 
what would be your reaction? You know, honest answer. It, it's a good question because, you know, you know, all offseason I was banging the drum for trading down, period. Like even at two, I would have been kind of okay with it. So I, I can't, I don't think I can sit here and genuinely, disingenuously say that, no, I wouldn't, wouldn't have liked it. But I, I think you brought up some interesting points and it's an interesting way to look at it too, because you looked at how a lot of Vikings fans reacted to that trade down and a lot of them weren't very happy about it. And you have to think, you have to think about the lines being kind of in a similar situation to what they are, where they're kind of a rebuilding team and, and they're giving away not a great draft, you know, a return on the trade and, and they're letting a, a division rival get a star wide receiver. So I, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of more curious as to what Lions fans reactions would be, because I think in general trade downs are more popular than trade ups. But when you let kind of an, a guy that has as much talent as Jameson Williams go and go to a division rival, that can change the conversation. So it, it, I, that's a really interesting way to look at it. And I, I think I would still be, you know, in favor of trading down, especially with, I, I, maybe it's fair, maybe it's not fair, but looking at the haul that, that would, they would have gotten at 32 and 34 with, you know, Lewis seen and, and, and Christian Watson and, and a linebacker at 66. I think people would generally be really happy about that draft too. So it's kind of like just two sides of the same coin where, I think I think either result would have would have made a very happy Lions face Lions fan base and maybe that just goes to show you there, there's more than one way to skin a cat and there's there's more than one ways to do this and and get a successful result and maybe both maybe both would have turned out okay but I'm I'm curious as to as to what your what our other panelists think about this so let let me go to Ryan first yeah so I I think it it all is dependent upon the the, the pick value, right? Like I think that was by far and away the thing that Brad Holmes nailed, right? Is it, it, it's really hard to argue with the value that he got moving up to 12 and what he had to give up. And, and, and we've seen a, bu- a bunch of ways that it's been, um, <clears throat> that it's been positioned in terms of, you know, like Austin Gale saying, okay, yeah. So you trade from up from 66 to 46 and you trade up from 32 to 12 and, and you really, you're just giving up 34. And when you think about that, it's like, okay, so they essentially gave up what would have been, you know, to, you know, the, the Rams pick, right. You know, getting essentially giving that up to, you know, get up and, and get Jameson Williams. And I, I think the thing that was so surprising is, and, and, and Daniel brought this up when he was, you know, asking his question was, I, I don't think any, any of us really even thought somebody like Jameson Williams was a possibility. Right. So I don't think that there was a whole lot of, a whole lot of buzz or a whole lot of talk to, to your point, Jeremy, about like the fan base and, and how they reacted. Like they were more in on guys like Christian Watson and they're more in on guys like George Pickens, because that's where it seemed like the lions were going to be picking at, you know, 32 or 34. And if all of a sudden that conversation turns into, Hey, you're making a really good trade in terms of draft value. Uh, and, and on top of that, you're getting one of the blue chip players in the draft. Like, I, I know we all love to talk about trade downs, but I was a big fan of this trade up. I'll tell you, there was one analyst that had this idea. Uh, that was Ryan Matthews of Pride of Detroit. Who's, I'm not sure if you're familiar that guy? with him. He suggested on this very podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, the idea of trading up. 
to go get a guy. And I believe he said Jameson Williams specifically. Maybe he said Garrett Wilson. I forget. Oh, stop. But Don't make me out had, to be a keep till you now. You had, you, you, you literally, this was oh, a question Garrett. that you posed to us. So don't, don't, I don't want to I look, I know you're not going to brag about it. So I'll brag for you. Oh, I'm flattered. <laughs> uh, this idea, I, I, I just, I said no, when you asked the question, I said no, because I didn't think it was a reality. But when we kind of step back, and look at it. I absolutely think that you were onto something, and obviously you were because of what happened. But what is this offense lacking? They're lacking a game changer, and this is what Brad Holmes winning got right. And so for uh, trading down is is, uh, is typically like perceived as the better option because you're going to get more value in the picks. But when you are at the point where you're, I mean, this offense isn't that far away from being really, really competitive, right? When you look at the weapons that they have in the offensive line and, and it's really just one key piece, I think that might be holding them back from being superly successful next year, but they, they were lacking a very obvious game changing style of, of wide receiver. And, you know, we were comfortable with them, you know, waiting a little bit on a receiver because this was the talented class. And we saw what, what Brad Holmes did last year with, with St. Brown and I, and being able to identify talent. But I think being aggressive and going after this guy that you think can absolutely change the entire dynamic of your offense is something that we have been clamoring for, for a while. We just didn't think it was realistic because I don't think we thought going up 20 spots would be was something that was within their cost range right we thought it would cost them a first round pick in the in in the year prior and they wouldn't give up a or they wouldn't give up a first round pick in 2023 to move up for a receiver no matter how much of a game changer he is well when he when you we find out the details of the of the trade and that there was no future pick involved well yes wide receiver came back on the table and, and it makes a lot of sense like he you saw this a couple of times throughout the draft where when the position was at a point, a tipping point where there was a big drop off between that, that player. And then like the next group of players, Holmes got that guy. He did that a couple of times, right? He did that with this, like, this was the last top tier receiver on the board. Like if you look at the draft and the receivers that went after, right? So Williams goes at 12. Well, yeah. at 16, Washington took Dotson. I mean, for four spots, you're talking about the difference between Williams and Dotson. That's a massive difference in talent. Huge difference. Between, and, and, and it's only four picks on, on the board. So what I really like about Brad Holmes being comfortable being aggressive is that I like the way that he recognizes the drop-off in talent, and I like that when he thinks he needs something, he's willing to go after it to try and get that spot because that – shows me a, an intelligent way to approach the draft. And that's what I really appreciated about how he approached this draft. I, hey, I agree. I just like to make, I agree. And my other, my other point about this is that there's a couple, you know, I think you're pointing to something that, that there are a couple different ways of looking at value. I mean, you can look at the trade chart and say they fleeced the Vikings and that's true. But the other way of looking at value is what has value to the Lions right now with the roster that they have, the situation in there that they're in. I mean, apart from apart from the, the, the trade up, trade down chart, it just seems to me that this pick has so much. I mean, yes, it's a risk. All players are risks. 
but it has so much potential value for where the lions are now. And, and, and it seems to me that that's, you know, that maybe that's what, that, that's what Holmes gets. So anyway, listen, thanks for the, thanks for the discussion guys. No problem, Daniel. And, and I think that last point is kind of interesting too, because I mean, the, the reason why I think a lot of us were against trading up and a lot of us were against maybe going for Debo Samuel too, which apparently the Lions were in on, was that maybe the roster wasn't ready, right? They weren't ready to necessarily compete for the division, compete for a, a playoff spot, compete for, for, for whatever, um, because you don't want to give away future assets. You're still in the rebuilding phase. Well, maybe this is a sign that they think they're a little bit closer and maybe they're not wrong. I mean, like you said, Eric, the, the offense does not feel like it's that far away right now. The defense certainly has a, a rebuilt defensive front and potential, I mean, potential in the secondary. We're still kind of figuring out what they have at corner. Like maybe they think this is going along a little bit faster than we expected just because they were kind of quiet during free agency. Is that a fair read? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, they, they, they wanted to, in order to maximize the Matthew Stafford trade, you, and in order to maximize the rebuild, you need to introduce game changers with your first round picks. And, and with their last three first round picks, they're all, I mean, Sewell, Hutchinson and Williams, those are game changing type players. And we've been, we've gone on and on for years about how this team lacks these dynamic players and, and, and they're, they're going after them right now. Right. And so, um, and look, you got two more next year. I mean, uh, I, let's get the next year's draft. There you go. And, and, and to, to Eric's point, like, Panay Sewell is the guy that people were talking about as being the first overall pick, like, leading up to leading up to the, you know, 2021 draft. And, like, you're talking about Jamison Williams as a top five pick before he tears his ACL in the national championship game. Aiden Hutchinson falls from one to two right into the Lions' lap. Like, they're getting these premier talent players, and I think that that – I, I think the one thing that, that can't go unspoken for, and, and I mentioned this today in like the open thread I, I, I wrote for Pride of Detroit, but like we see the difference that a wide receiver can make in year one, right? Like for so long, I think it was kind of understood that there was a learning curve for wide receivers as rookies, and you had to be really patient with them and temper expectations, and they needed to get caught up to leap. Like I, that's not a thing anymore for guys. Like Jamar Chase comes in and completely changes Cincinnati's offense. Justin Jefferson comes into Minnesota and helps, you know, unlock the offense. I, you know, we keep on saying the roster might be too far away, but like, like you said, Jeremy, like Jameson Williams might be the straw that stirs the drink all of a sudden. And the lion's offense is humming. What he should in theory, right. I mean, in theory, when he is healthy, what he should be able to do uh, from just a vertical standpoint, not not even can, not even just like throwing him the ball and like or the uh, you know the the crossing routes and stuff like that that he does, just from a vertical standpoint, he should take so much pressure off of St. Brown and Hawkinson, which are arguably your two best skill players uh, on the field, right? And so, if take being able to take pressure off of St. Brown is going to do wonders for for this offense. I mean it it's a it's a massive pick on its own, but the 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 domino trickle effect, down. Yeah. yeah is going to be uh it we're gonna be amazed by how much it's gonna free up uh some of the other things that they can now do underneath. Everyone eats, right? Like That's everyone's right. gonna stand to benefit. Everyone. So, yeah. Okay, well, we are two questions in and a half an hour. What do you in. expect? Let's try to. What do you expect from let's, us? All right, stop. <laughs>
Let's try to squeeze one more in here before we take our first break. You there, Robert? I am. Can you hear me okay? Yep. All right. Cool. Um, Got to say, man, just the first two questions, so many things swirling around in the brain. <laughs> um, I think the lost thing that gets lost, too, is the uh, people seem to be forgetting about DJ Chark, who I'm super excited for. Sure. I mean, 6 four, four, three, like he can stretch the field as well. Um, <laughs> but my question, I'm pretty much just going to keep it short uh, and maybe a little bit more of a just kind of a fun um, uh, topic here, hypothetical. We were talking about uh, some bets, some futures bets, and Dan Campbell is plus 3,000 for coach of the year right now. Mm-hmm. So my question is, what do you guys think it would take for him to actually win coach of the year? And also, why not put $10 on it? <laughs> well, we know who I'm going to throw this question to first, so I'm not even going to have to say his name. You, was I summoned? <laughs> um, yeah, I. you know, let, let's answer the question, like, what would it take? And I, I'm interested to, to, to hear what you have to say, Jeremy. Like, is it the NFC North? Like, it, if Dan Campbell wins the NFC North, could he be coach of the year? As, I mean, as long as it takes double-digit wins to win it, yes. I think it is enough because the Lions have enough of an notoriety of being yeah. such a bad team. It can't be a nine like, and eight season, right? Right. It can't be a nine and eight season where you win the division. It, but but that that like that said, I think ten and seven could do it. Honestly, like I think a, a seven win increase in year two for one of the most hapless franchises ever and winning the division against Aaron Rodgers, he's in the conversation, no question, absolutely. And do I think that's a, a possibility? I think it's in the realm of possibilities. Oh, my God. Let's I, go. I wouldn't say it's going to happen. I wouldn't put money on it because I don't bet on sports, and I certainly don't think it's going to happen. But is there I'm a universe? <laughs> I'm, I, oh man, I don't know. I, I, I get the temptation. I really do because I do think this team could su- surprise some people. But it, it's going to take at least 10 wins, at least the NFC North, um, maybe even more than that, but but I don't know. I I'm not I'm not I'm, I'm hyping myself up a little bit too much. You here. are. So someone, and I, here's the thing: I don't think either of you two are going to talk me down. Um, oh, no, no, no I, I don't think we will. But the the one thing I want to say before I pass it to Eric is, you know that I mean that Mike Rabel won Coach of the Year last year. You know, and all he did was win the AFC South. Well, what is what was their record though? And who um, really scares you in the North? Well, the, like who really scared with Devontae Adams gone? Does Green Bay really scare you? Aaron Rodgers does. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers does. Always will. Uh, I, have a, I have a question just because I can't recall off the top of my head. Do they do the voting for coach of the year before yes, the playoffs? They, they do. do. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. Because I was going to say like a, a playoff win would get them there. But that's if that's not in the cards, then yeah, yeah. I, I do think the division – is probably the goal and it wouldn't and it and they would i think it might even take a little bit more in the fact that he's going to have to like knock the socks off the green bay you know what i mean like he's going to have to like go in the lambo and like just smack aaron Rodgers around a little bit in, in order to like really like set themselves up but look these types of awards typically go to teams that are in the forefront of the media and 
if uh, lines are on hard knocks, you know, there, people well, are going to get a big point. dose of Dan Campbell yeah. right off the bat. And then if you start winning, now you can start getting games flexed into, into prime positions because who knows how many, uh, you know, primetime games are actually going to get this year. But like, if you flex when you're on the big stage, that's going to go a long way. And then when you start putting up things on, you know, if the box score starts to match, then, you know, I, it's, I think that's what it would take. It, it would take a few different things in addition to just taking it, taking the, the North as well. Robert, so, throw 10 on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, <laughs> this, this podcast doesn't officially endorse any, uh, any sports betting, but you can get your best deals over on DraftKings. Wow. Sportsbook. What a professional. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for the question, Robert. Appreciate it. That's a fun one. And I hope we didn't uh, raise the bar of expectations too much for, for Lions fans there. No, I mean, I'm, I'm personally, I'm very hyped for the season. Like I said, like Green Bay will always be scary, but I just don't, we almost beat Minnesota twice. We should have probably beaten the Bears twice. I don't know. And with our improved run defense, that seemed like our Achilles heel. So I don't know. I'm, I'm drinking some Kool-Aid pretty hard right now. Hey, no no worries about that. It, the, the, the weather's nice enough to be chugging some Kool-Aid. And so we're going to take a break here when we come back. We're going to try to hopefully get through some more questions. Uh, there's a lot of you. I don't think we're going to get through all of them. But uh, uh, appreciate everyone who's joining us this Saturday morning. And we will be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back here on Spotify Live, Detroit Lions post-draft edition, talking all things Detroit Lions. Uh, let's go into our next caller. We got Mathis. Mathis, are you there this time? I'm here. Okay. There we go. How are we doing, Mathis? Doing, doing all right. Doing all right. Good, good. Yeah. How about you guys? Hanging in there, man. Uh, it's 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 a beautiful day, and I'm, I'm you know obviously we're we're a little bit hyped about the lines right now, so so good things ahead, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So my question to you guys is, um, so there we basically drafted three edge rushers um for um and we and i know there's been a lot of articles about like 
where they're going to pl- where they're going to place who. And I think a question on everybody's mind is, what does that mean for like Julian O'Quara? Because I think he he becomes like edge number six by my count because Harris is going to stay, O'Quara, uh, uh, Romeo is going to stay, and so Julian. And I think I just got the Romeo and Julian joke right there. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, uh, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen for? Because I think that's our six edges, and that seems like a lot, but I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a good question because I think you also have to wonder what. I mean, James Houston is kind of like the the wild card here, right? Does he jump Julian right away? Does he play some more off ball linebacker? Um, does he make the team? I mean, he's a sixth round pick. There's no guarantee he makes the team even at that point, but he's certainly kind of an intriguing player. And I th- I think if there's a player that's challenging him, Julian specifically for roster spot, it is kind of James Houston. And I know Eric, you were talking about this on your podcast. Those two kind of had similar traits in that, like they are kind of pass rushing speed specialists. And the key is who will be able to do more than that. I think. I think you can keep them both. Honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, because it, it really come, it really is going to come down to the, to how they want to approach the front. Right. Um, you have four traditional, like I can put my hand in the dirt or I can stand up type edge rushers in uh, Romeo Hutchinson, Harris and, and Pascal. Right. Those guys are your traditional edge, but then you're after that in on my depth chart, I would put Julian and then Houston, Uh, right after that. Now, those two guys are your hybrid guys that have some flexibility to do a lot of different things. And the key becomes, if you're going to try and keep them both, is what's your plan at at off the ball linebacker? And and that's really where the question, you know, is like, if they want to keep would they keep like six off the ball linebackers last year? Right. Like, and that was way ahead of what we had thought. Right. Because, but they, but they kept those guys in, they really played three of them and like the other three were all special teamers. Well, if you can get uh, Houston playing a, you know, a key role on special teams, which he does, he plays all four phases, has played all four phases, uh, both at Florida and Jackson state. And he played in all four phases while he was starting and tearing that league up. So uh, Jackson can, he can basically usurp one of those roles of, and, and you can have, you can keep less off the ball linebackers and keep a sixth edge. So if you keep four interior defensive tackles, six edge guys, and then you keep like five, um, you know, uh, linebackers and you keep 10 defensive backs, well, that's your 25, right? That's, that's uh, the way that you can approach like that side of the roster for me. The fact that, that Houston can do a couple of different things, I think makes him, uh, it, it could end up causing them to uh, sacrifice another spot on the roster. Like um, at linebacker, they got a lot of guys, but like how many of those guys are going, are, are talented enough where you're like, well, they're going to have to keep an extra, this guy here, because you know, he, th- they have this many talented like, linebackers. Like they don't, the linebacker group is the weakest group and they didn't do a whole lot to address it either. And so what that tells me is that you're probably going to see less of them. You're going to see more, you're going to see more edge guys. You're going to see more nickels. You're going to see more secondary. I mean, they have so many secondary guys. Like if they don't, if they aren't going five secondary players out there, like 90% of the time, 
I'm going to be shocked because of the way that they've approached this. So I actually think if depending on how you construct the roster, it's a it's a great opportunity with Houston's skill set to be able to use him at like kind of like a Sam linebacker, right? Where mm-hmm. he and, and it will and him and Aquara, they'll they can allow you to you know take three edge rushers and put them on the field even when you're in your base because they can uh if you if you do like a four three under and you shift the the line away from the tight end and then you put one either Aquara or Houston over the linebacker well, they can carry a linebacker. Like they can, they can, they can drop and cover the linebacker if they need to. But they can also come off the edge, and now you're rushing five, including three edge guys, right? So, that's what's really appealing about having these two kind of hybrid guys that are, you know, can be really good pass rushers, but can also have enough in their arsenal that they can, you know, do a little bit of off the ball stuff, and it makes them just more valuable, in my opinion. And it's not it's not only that too. It, it's the it's the versatility of some of the other edge guys where they can kick in because I, I think maybe if if you're listening and you're not sure how this whole thing works, like six edges that sounds like a ton to keep, but when you know half of them or two or three of them can slide inside, especially in those NASCAR situations, well that's that's where Julian Aquara has a role, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like there's, I can see them going out and just trying to stack a base like a base four three with two off the ball with two off the ball linebackers and then five secondary players but in their base they're running like Hutchinson McNeil um Julian uh or uh Romeo and even Pascal like you know what I mean like where you have like four edges out there because a couple of those edges can kick inside like that right so and then if you want to stack them on top like that's crazy that you can that they have enough versatility right now to be able to be aggressively different, even without having to show, you know, what they're trying to do with any one play. And then, yeah, when you add the NASCAR into that thing, that gets even crazier because, you know, you have enough talented edge rushers. Like for me, their aggressive approach to add the edge is just tells me that they're it's, it's, it's a position that they really want to have influence what they're going to do on offense. And then when you add into the fact that they're talking about being more aggressive and, uh, you know, reacting to the back leg of the, of the offensive tackle instead of the, or offensive lineman instead of the front. So you're being aggressive instead of reactionary. That again, speaks to the fact that if you're going to play that style of defense, you need attacking uh, defensive linemen and people who are going to play on the line of scrimmage and your edge rushers give you that best opportunity to do that approach. So, yeah, I I think keeping six edge is is probably the way I'm going to be approaching this um, when I start doing my you know project 53 man projections. Unfortunately, that still probably means bad news for someone like Austin Bryant though. Austin Bryant is good. now he's he's in he's in real trouble. He's in real trouble. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh. Thanks for the question, Mathis. Appreciate you uh, and your persistence in getting on here. Sorry about the earlier troubles there. Um, let's move on to, uh, I believe Michael is next. Michael, how are we doing? Doing great. Thanks for including me today, guys. Sure. No problem. Here's, I may have drunk the Kool-Aid a little bit too much this morning. So <laughs> okay. I'll warn you there that with the change in the scheme of the front seven or front six, um, I, I think we'll see a huge improvement from our defensive backfield 
And if we can if we can raise our defense from I don't remember we were twenty eighth in the league last year up to middle of the pack, and with what we've done on the offense with uh, adding a, a key number two tight end and a number one and number two wide receiver, I think it's realistic to say that we're we have a good chance being at least number two in the North, if not challenging Green Bay for number one. So is am I am I drunk? <laughs> I listen. I, I don't think you're gonna get anyone here calling you drunk for that take because obviously, I mean, who knows what's going on in, in Green Bay or I'm sorry, in, in Chicago and Minnesota. They're in, in year one of maybe not full rebuilds, but certainly of a new style, a new a new pathway. Um, they didn't have to tear things down quite as much as, as the Lions did, but um, I guess it, I, I let me try to cool this off a little bit and, and, and direct the, the conversation a different way. What do you guys think is the thing that will hold this team back? What is the thing that will, will keep them lower than green Bay on the totem pole? What is the thing that, that you're most concerned about, I guess, going into 2022 for the lions. And I'll start with you, Ryan. Jared Goff. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. That's the biggest one. Not I'm assuming not the only one. Um, no, I, yeah, I, Here's the thing is, is I was kind of like scrambling because we, we've cited this like many times, but I, I just can't recall the, the jump that they made. But remember when, when the Lions first hired Aaron Glenn, right? And, and, and I'm not going to do anything to stop the Kool-Aid, okay? Like, let's keep it flowing. <laughs> Here's right. the thing. Like, when, when, when the Lions hired Aaron Glenn, like, we looked at, you know, that first year that he was in New Orleans, they went 7-9 and nine in, in, in 2016. And then that leap that they made in 2017. I mean, they also had an absolute dynamite draft, right? Like the Marcus Lattimore, Alvin Kamara, you know, Ryan Ramchek. They, I mean, uh, just just an absolute like stellar class, right? But the leap that they made in terms of their defense with Glenn coaching the secondary, and, and specifically the the leap that the secondary made, uh, it, that's the biggest question mark, right? It's it, it's the secondary, and and it goes back to what Eric just said. I mean, he, he just waxed poetically for so long about like. Yeah, we're kind of like squeezing out the linebacker play, the edge and the secondary. I mean, like those those are two huge positions for the Lions. I mean, they are big question marks, but like if 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 Okuda is healthy, right? If Romeo is healthy. Th- there's a lot of ifs, but like if those guys are healthy and if they're ready to play, like that defense can make a big leap, I think. I I I'm, talk me down, Eric. No, that's the thing. It's 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 the two things that I'm worried about are youth and injury, right? Because the injuries really took their toll last year and, and they're, they're tough to avoid in the NFL, right? right? So uh, they lost a lot of key players uh, to injury last year. And so that that's difficult. You know what I mean? That's, that's always difficult for a young team to overcome. So that's always going to be a, a concern of mine. But the the other thing is, is just that, it will take time for some of these youth to really develop. Like it took Amon Ra half a season before Amon Ra just, you know, woke up and just started like owning people. Right. And that's not uncommon. So it may take Williams half a, you know, a quarter of a season to get healthy and then another quarter of the season to acclimate. We might not actually see what Jameson Williams is fully capable of until the back half of the year. Right. And so, that's really what it, it, it that's really my main concern is how quickly do these guys acclimate because remember Ali McNeil was a terror in training camp but he took until like the last like four games before he really started making uh, a bigger impact and so th- if we're going to 
you know, kind of try and calm our Kool-Aid a little bit. I think that would be the biggest thing is that the, there's a lot of talent and there's a, and the, and the future looks bright, but it may take some of them a little bit of time, but look, you get guys back healthy. You get Aquara back, you get Akuda back, you get Hutchinson back. Like you get Frank Ragnow back. My goodness. Like, you just getting these guys back healthy is going to do wonders for a team that was already ascending and hitting their stride at the end of last season. And the players are starting to, things were starting to click for them. And you have to, you know, you're going to make the assumption that these young guys are going to continue to click forward, but how fast do the rest of the young guys catch up? So, so injuries, right. Are, are the concern, yeah. Jeremy, I want to, I want to spin this back to you because you're usually the guy who throws a wet blanket on things, but <laughs> um, guilty. like what, what would you agree though, that like, the roster in terms of its baseline, it's just in a better position than it was a year ago, right? Like your, oh, base, no question. your, your baseline for wide receivers going into the season were Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perryman, right? Like now your baseline of receivers are DJ shark and Josh Reynolds and Amon Ross St. Brown, right? you're hoping that Jameson Williams can hit, right? Like your, your baseline for your edge rushers, like Charles Harris is coming off a really good season, right? You add Aiden Hutchinson to the mix now. Like Deshaun Elliott, it, again, injuries, but like that's your baseline for safety now. It's not Dean Marlowe. Yeah, I mean, and, and you just went over two of the most important positions in football, that, you know, in, in the modern NFL with, with wide receiver and edge. And yeah, Charles Harris might be number four on the depth chart now on pretty, edge. Pretty behind... good spot, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so I get all of that and and I'm I'm with you all for the most part. I guess the question I that I still have is is well yeah, like injuries are still a, a very weird thing to have to deal with because you don't know when all these guys are going to be ready. Um you don't know what Jeff Okuda is going to look like, but you know, best case scenario on all of those things if they all really work out, then yeah, I think we could see a big year two jump on the defense. The thing that I'm still concerned with on that side of the ball is the interior and that that goes along with interior linebackers and interior defenders on the defensive line because in that conversation of injuries is Levi Onzerike who uh you know it was revealed that he like he couldn't even sit down in team meetings that's how much he was hurting yet he wasn't on the injury report which is a whole different thing but I know every team essentially hides injuries like that um but definitely curious um, but I like this team did not stop the run well, and they added a couple run defending edge guys, but everything else kind of remains the same. And and you could maybe even argue that interior might be a little bit worse off right now. And I know someone like Josh Pascal can come in and, and maybe help out there, but I, I think he's better at setting the edge when it comes to run defense than maybe being a guy who can plug holes or be attacking or whatever. So that to me remains a pretty big concern in, in run defense and, the linebacking core didn't get any better, I don't think. So you can't really say that that is is going to be the the thing that fixed the run game. So I think I think that remains a pretty big concern. And listen, I know it's a passing league, but Dan Gamble will also tell you like, if you can't stop the run first, then you're going to have a lot of trouble. And you look at some of the games in which the lines got blown out last year, and I don't think we can overlook those because they happen more often than you remember. A lot of those games they got ran all over. And so I think that's something that I don't know if, if that's going to be fixed in, in year two. And I think that's something that they can really hold this team back. Can I, I ask Ryan totally a up? Yeah, go ahead, Michael. Well, you started off with your biggest concern was Jared Goff. Now, with the way he ended the season, with adding in our, our new wide receiver room, adding in a new number two 
tight end. If we get him up to, say, top half of the league, 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there as a quarterback, do you think your concerns are going to go away and that will be competitive? You're muted, Ryan. Sorry about that. I I, I have the uh, tornado sirens that are being tested out, uh, okay. so you can add that to the birds. But anyways, um, the, Michael, I, I think I think when you look at golf, right, like he succeeds by the talent that is around him, and, and you can make the argument that like the the skill position players that they've put around Jared Goff, it, I, I mean, how much better does it get? You you have a guy with track star traits like Jameson Williams, DJ Shark, who you know Robert mentioned earlier in the podcast, like. That's a guy that's, you know, kind of like flying under the radar when like if he's operating at, you know, max, uh, max productivity, like we've seen this guy be a pro ball player. So like, I, I think the thing with Jared Goff though, that, that limits the offense is, is just, he, he, I don't know if he'll ever be the quarterback that you will, you will win because of. And, and, and I don't know how that changes. Like, I, I just think that his, his ceiling is capped because he is as good as the talent around him. And I think we saw that from like the first, you know, first half of the season last year, like just the talent that was around him capped how, you know, effective he was. Maybe that unlocked a little bit with Amon Ross St. Brown and you add all these weapons and, and yeah, maybe Jared Goff can be a middle of the road, uh, you know, you know, starter in this league, but I, I still think that he's just not going to be a guy that you're ever going to win games because of. Any, any quick thoughts on on that or or the run defense, Eric? Before we uh, we move on here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I think the run defense is is certainly something to be concerned about. Um, you have to hope that you know they make a, the 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 rookies last year make that sophomore leap, which is uh, typically happens, but you know nothing's guaranteed. So you're you're hoping that will happen. The the two edge rushers that you that you took at the top, those like you mentioned. They're the, they were the, I think the top two run defenders off the edge, uh, maybe two of the top three or something like that. Like uh, if I remember what you, what you told me in the, in the press room there. Um, Right. So like they, they, they've done about as much as they can, I think, to try and address that issue. Um, It's still not going to be a complete roster. I think we're still at least one more off season away from being to a point where we can call this, you know, a really, truly competitive team but at the same time you know we it's if you get things clicking and and all of a sudden your edge pressure you know can can take some of that can can take some of that like you know uh the op- run opportunities out of the way of the, you know you never know how things go it's just you've got to hit the developmental progression from those guys in order to uh shore up that you know that you know realistic concern all right, fair enough. Michael, appreciate the question, man. Uh, another another great conversation spurred there. Uh, let's move to Kyle. Kyle is next. All right, Kyle, are you there? Yeah, hey, guys. I uh, just want to start by yeah, doing well. Doing well, Good. thank you. I, I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you for, for all the content. I think there's a lot of excitement uh, in the fan base, and folks are starving for the content, and you've even uh, met or exceeded exceeded that so thank you guys for the last couple weeks and everything you've done thanks Kyle. so related to the draft i've, I've kind of undergone a, a philosophical shift in how i look at this you know the old rule is three starters three starters three starters well some years the lions have gotten that and if you look back really more years than that they they haven't uh, in terms of lasting starters 
Uh, but even beyond that, at some point you need difference making elite talent. Um, and I, you know, I think I look at this draft and I certainly see three starters satisfying that perspective, but I think there's a real chance here. You've got a couple of those difference makers who in hindsight, you look back and say, these are top 10 guys at their positions a couple of years down the road. And the Lions haven't had that right in the last several drafts, you know, maybe Ragnow, maybe Hawk, but then you go back and look for those guys and it's Slay in 2013, maybe Sue in 2011. Uh, that just difference making elite talent coming through the draft has not been there. Um, but I think we may have got it here. I think we may get three or four starters. So let's fast forward to 2024. I'd love to get your predictions on how many of these guys are elite, you know, potentially top 10 or borderline top 10 position players at their position and how many are starters. And if you have names, you know, that you predict will be starting by then, I'd love to hear them. Ooh, I like this. Okay. So I, let, let's first stretch this out to beyond just the draft class. Who do you guys think will be in the conversation in a year or two as top players at their position that are currently on the Lions roster? That's a tough one. That's um, I think Hutchinson has that ceiling uh, to be a top 10. I think uh, Sewell, Ragnow, those are guys that are, are, are well, Ragnow's already top two. Sure. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep. Um, yep. But I mean, um, he might not be too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, offensive line, you've got at least two, maybe three top 10 players. And then uh, at your skill positions, I think St. Brown and, and Williams can definitely contend for that. Now, will they eventually, you know, if we said, I'd be more inclined to say they're, they're probably top 20. Uh, or that they have that potential by 2024 to be like in that top 20. Um, but if, if Williams hits the way that, you know, most people are projecting, he could easily be a top 10. Um, I don't think you're going to get that out of running back or who knows where Hawk's going to go. I think Hawk, the way the tight end position is, there's always a chance for him to do that. So they got like, a, I don't know, they got like four or five guys on offense that have that type of ceiling uh, in the next couple of years. I think it's a lot harder to predict on defense um, you know, beyond what Hutchinson, right? right. Um, you know, Tracy's your best safety. Uh, Kirby Joseph is, I think, is a starter in in by 2024. But I, I don't can't, I wouldn't feel confident to say either of them are going to be necessarily top 10 guys. Uh, none of the linebackers. Um, Pascal would it'd be a hard ask, I think, for him. Same thing for your interior guys and, and your in your corners. You know, who it's still kind of a big mystery. So yeah, on defense you've got Hutch, and then on offense you've got like four or five guys that I think are have that kind of potential. Leave, leave it to Eric to leave out special teams. Jeez, I guess I have to be the special teams carrier now. <laughs> you, you want to say Jack Fox's top ten? Go ahead. <laughs> there Do you it. go. <laughs> um, no, but one of the things I was going to point out there is that you look at who the pro bowlers of this team have been in recent Jonah years. Hawkinson, Jonah Jackson, and, and Ragnow. Not premier positions, right? Like, they're, they're not really that impactful well, position. I, center, I would argue maybe center, center is. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but now you're talking about guys who could potentially be that that they just added. Edge guy, wide receiver, left or right tackle. Those are big-time positions that – are what, what what was the, the buzzword that Brad Holmes kept using all off season? Game changers. Those are game changers that the Lions might now have top tier talent at, and I think that's worth pointing out because now 
they aren't making the unpopular decision of taking a tight end high or taking, uh, uh, you know, whatever high. You know, they're, they're really tackling these premier positions, and I think that's worth pointing out. So let's let's move to the other part of the conversation now, and I'll, I'll throw it to you, Ryan. Let's look at this team's draft class this year. Two years down the road, how many of them do you see starting? Oh, man, two – well, Mal- Malcolm Rodriguez is for sure going to be a starter. No, um, <laughs> the yeah, I, I think I agree with Eric. Like, you know, obviously you see JMO being a starter, you see Aiden Hutchinson being a starter. Then, uh, I, is Pascal is, is he a rotational guy? You know what I mean? Like, is he is he getting a lot of snaps, but is he is he not starting? I, you know, it, it's tough to say. But you know, I, I think Kirby Joseph is where you draw that line of like, all right, like. Beyond that, like everything else is gravy, but like I, I really feel like if Kirby Joseph can can hit off, right? Then then you got like four you got four starters in this in this class, like if you want to make the argument for Pascal. So and, and, and two of them are big time difference makers, right? Like two two of them are game changing players in, in, in JMO and, and, and Hutchinson. So, you know, you know, I guess I want to take something from, from Brett Whitefield. It's like, I really wish like Holmes would make a pick that I didn't like, yeah. you know, like, but, but, but at this point, like he, I, he, he's just doing such a, such a solid job. And, you know, um, the, the one thing I want to propose to you guys real quick is like the idea about like JMO and Hutchinson, like, you know, w- with the defensive line, right. And, and with an edge rusher, like it, it always seems to be like, okay, like, their their production or their, their perceived value is really based on sacks and like Jay Mose is going to be like catches and receiving yards. Like, do you see maybe this year, like maybe having to temper expectations and, and, and be concerned about them moving forward just because they might not put up the gaudy numbers, but they, they might help the guys around them. You know what I mean? So maybe it might take until 2024 for them to be considered like top, top 10 of their position. I don't know. That That's just a thought that I, that I had, you know, I agree. Around my brain. I, I agree with you because one, we don't know when Williams is going right. to come back. So that right there should be tempered. Uh, but then at the same time with Hutchinson, um, there's some question marks around him. Like who's to say that they can't just put doubles on Hutchinson like all the time and then just try and single up the, the other guys. Like, so if he's fighting through double teams all the time and he's not getting help, uh, you know, it's going to be harder for him to, register you know you know stats in the box score whereas he but but him being doubled might open up opportunity for for other people to get you know their stats up again you know Romeo might have a really good season or or Harris might continue to have a good season because of the attention that that Hutchinson draws and so I think that's the thing though about Hutchinson and Williams is that they're both attention seekers you know what I mean like people you're going to have to account for him when when Williams is on the field defenses are going to have to say, okay, well, we can't bring the safety up because we have to leave the safety over the top because Williams will just run by almost any corner in the league, right? So that's part of the value, though. They're not always going to be statistically there. And I don't think they're, they're going to be – I don't think either one's going to be in that top 10 conversation this year. Um, I just – it's I don't think that's realistic. Um, but – yeah, like uh, like Kyle said, uh, if we're talking a couple years down the road, more talent gets added, they get they get more sharp in their games. I think there's a, there's a, a several people on this roster that that have that potential to to go up and get it because they're going to be able to. I, I think the ceiling for these guys is to overcome double teams, to overcome 
keeping a safety over the top of them. Like they have that type of potential. Can let me let me ask you, um, do you think there's anyone beyond that third round that has the potential to be a starter? Well, that, that you see being a starter in, in two or three years? Uh, now, if I mean <laughs> the way that this linebacker crew is, I know I can't rule Rodriguez out, even though Kyle, even though Ryan was joking about yeah. it. Um, but you would expect in a couple of years to have more linebackers added, right? You right. would hope that they. So, um, so no, yeah, it's hard to say. You know, um, uh, it's kind of a sleeper option, but like, could Chase Lewis win the nickel job and be a starting nickel, like? Last year, A.J. Parker went undrafted, and he was the starting nickel. So yeah. why wouldn't a guy that you actually drafted, you know, be able to win that job? So I, I'm not ruling out Chase Lucas yet. You know, I'm like he could he could not make the roster, or he could start at nickelback. Like that's <laughs> kind of where he is right now, right? But and that's I mean, kind of where the the Lions cornerback room is. Yeah, right. right? We don't exactly. know anything about it right now. Exactly. Now I you know I think Rodriguez is probably a role player most of his career. Who knows? I mean, there's a lot of analysts that think he could be a starter. Lanzier line and and Dave Brugler both think he's going to be a starter uh, on this roster. Um, and then Houston looks like a rotational guy. And then, um, you know, uh, James Mitchell, as long as Hawkinson's around, he's probably not going to be starting over Hawkinson. Uh, but could he develop into a starter if they don't ever make a long-term agreement with a contract with Hawkinson? I mean, maybe. He's probably the second most talented tight end on the uh, on the roster right now. So you could make an argument that some of these day three guys jump up if the right situation happens. But, I mean, right off the bat, it doesn't it – doesn't, it's not something that you're counting on, I guess. James Mitchell was the name that I was going to say just because of how often I think the Lions will want to be in 12 personnel, right? Like he, oh, yeah. he might, he might kind of like be a start, like again, but a guy coming off an ACL, like, is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be ready to go? You know, the, the hope, the hope is yes. Um, and, and the last thing I want to say to Kyle is nice fish, but go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and thanks for taking the question, guys. Appreciate it. No problem, Kyle. Thanks for the call. Um, all right, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to close out shop here on Spotify Live, answering all of the questions that we can possibly fit into about a 90-minute window here. So stick with us. We'll be right back. And we are back here on the Spotify Live Q&A session, post-draft edition here every Saturday morning on the Spotify Live app, answering your questions here. And let's get back into it. Uh, let's get Greg in here. Greg, how are we doing? Hey, guys. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Great. Um, you know, you guys gave some love there to Aaron Glenn about what he's going to do to transform the defense. There was a caller who said, you know, what does Dan Campbell got to do to be coach of the year? Uh, my question is, what about Ben Johnson? I mean, is he going to take over play calling? Uh, was the effect he had with golf last year a real thing? Was it a flash in the pan? Uh, do you think teams just overlooked the Lions at the end? And so, oh, we just all of a sudden look better because they said, well, that's a two-win team or it's a three-win team, no worries. So do you think uh, Ben Johnson will be able to take all these great pieces, Chark, Williams, Amon Ra, Hawk, all those guys, and actually maybe transform this into a top 10 offense? Yeah, that's the question to you. Yeah, it's, it's a good question, Greg. And it's, it's an interesting conundrum because I think it is tough to kind of 
poke through all the factors of, of how that offense looked so much different down the stretch because there's so, so many changes, right? There's, I, I think they played kind of an easier schedule. Obviously they had the change in an offensive coordinator. They have Dan Campbell calling the plays. They get Josh Reynolds. They get Taylor Decker back. So what, what is, is it everything in, in conjunction there? Is there one thing that affected more and, and how much of that is going to carry over the next year? It's, it's a really tough question to have. I think we all look at the roster and say, hey, it's good enough now. But it is like if, if Ben Johnson is the play caller, and that's something we still really don't know, and I'm kind of curious as to your guys' prediction on it, it's going to be his first year calling plays. So it, it's something new, and that's not necessarily means it's going to hit the ground running. I, I, I think he will call plays. Um, and I've gone back and looked at – like how this how this um offenses and how the offense and defense utilize their players differently uh at different points of the season because um like when I was studying different position groups, I was looking at snap counts and stuff like that, and um one of the things that stood out to me was the the season was almost in like three phases but they weren't of like equal length, right? Like the first phase was up to the bye. Like you saw them, you know, basically trying to do the same thing over and over through the bye. Um, the first eight games, they were, they were trying their hardest, but they were coming up short. They were falling, you know, behind, losing on last second field goals, all that, all that stuff. But then when the bye happened, you know, we know that Campbell took over on offense. Um, but there was also there was some a big shift on defense as well. Like there were a lot of, they changed how they used their safeties a little bit. They changed how they used their front a little bit. And so there were some pretty big changes that they implemented over that buy. But, but on offense, I think what we saw is a slow introduction of Ben Johnson, right? Um, I don't think he was involved as much from what I can tell the first couple of games after the bye. So you're talking Steelers, you're talking Browns, right? When Campbell was basically just like trying to run the ball, bad weather, all that stuff, right? And and then... Backup quarterback. Right, exactly. I think he was... I'm going to try and take over because I know, you know, I, I, I it's not working with Anthony Lynn and, and something needs to change. And then I it looked... It, it felt like he started to reach out to Ben. And then... Cause that's when you started to hear come like third game after the bye, you started to hear, okay, yeah, Ben Johnson's more involved. And then a couple games later, it's like, oh yeah, Ben Johnson had this play that, that worked out real well for us. And then by the end, like it was just this common thing. Like his, his involvement by the end was like, you know, um, it was like, he had this, he did this, he did this. He was the one that called that play. He, you know, and like, and so this, this slow introduction of Ben Johnson it very much correlated with the offense's success, right? Like you saw the offense also starting to come into its own. And I do think that Ben Johnson was a big part of that. So um, yes, there's, there should be some, some pause and, and, thinking that this, they're going to come out of the gate on fire, but at the same time, I think he was slowly getting introduced to it. And I, and I also believe that the more he got involved, the more things started to open up, the more success they started to have. So I'm, I'm actually very encouraged about Ben Johnson's ability to take the offense further. And now 
he did all, you know, remember he did that stuff last year with when Swift was hurt and Hawkinson wasn't there and he didn't have Frank rag now. And like, he was missing a lot of key pieces yet. He was still making progress with what he had. Now you give him healthy weapons and more. Uh, I'm excited to see where Ben Johnson can go with this. Ryan, you, you buying some Ben Johnson stock right now? I think I am just because of, you know, Eric alluded to like the onboarding process, right? Like it, it was a, it was a slow process where, you know, we, we were getting more and more information thrown our way. Like, yeah, Ben Johnson was, you know, responsible for this or Ben Johnson did that. I think, you know, Jeremy, I want to ask you, like, do you think, do you think Dan Campbell wants play calling responsibilities? Cause I don't think he does. Like if I was a head coach, I don't think I'd want that responsibility. I think I'd <laughs> want somebody else to do that for me. That, I mean, that's a tough question to answer uh, because I think, I, I think in general, you a, a head coach shouldn't want that um, because I think that there's bigger fish fish to fry during the, you know, during the ongoings of a game. Um, but he certainly wants his hands on things, and I think the fact that he took over halfway shows that he wants his hands on things and he wants to make sure things are doing right. But you, you know, you also kind of go back to that really popular thing he said. In, in his first year, which was, you know, the whole true alpha thing, like the true alpha knows when to succeed. He it's his, I'm sorry to uh, not succeed when a true alpha knows when to recede or whatever it was step back. Right. Um, so I, I think, I think that's where he wants to get the team to it. If he was smart, that's where I think he would want to get the team to where a point where he can delegate. I, th- I think a lot of what he does in general is try to get um, the roster, the players, the coaches to a point where he delegates most things and just kind of oversees. And and again, that that's what a good leader does. So I, I, I guess long-term, yes, I, I don't think he wants to be calling plays, whether he's going to be ready to, to release those, um, you know, responsibilities to, to Ben Johnson yet or not. I'm not sure. I think I'm, I'm more towards Eric because I don't know. You just, you listen to anyone who spent any time around Ben Johnson and they just rave about him. I go back to Zach Taylor, the, the Bengals head coach who who's very close to Ben Johnson, who said uh, during, I think Super Bowl week, he's like, yeah, I wanted to hire Ben Johnson, but the, they, they wouldn't let me, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let him go. And so I, I think I'm also fully in on, on the Ben Johnson train right now. And I know this is just feeding more Kool-Aid to, to the masses right now, but yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to hit the ground running, but I think, I think the Lions might have themselves that young, impressive offensive coordinator that everyone in the league is seeking right now. Oh, thanks guys. I appreciate it. Have a good one. You too, Greg. Appreciate the question. Uh, all right, let's move to our next uh, caller here. It is uh, Nick. Oh, can you guys hey. hear me? Yep. How's it going, Nick? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Good, good. So uh, I guess this question is kind of for Eric. Um, I saw that the Cowboys traded up one spot in front of the Lions in the fifth round, and they took Damone Clark. So I'm wondering if you're worried that you may be tipping other teams to uh, what the Lions uh, front office (laughs) wants to do because you're so good at sort of uh, predicting these kind of things. So that's my question. (laughs) Uh, Eric, are you ruining uh, the Lions draft? Uh, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> no, um, no, but 
Thank you. Uh, that that I, I love that compliment. Um, no, but was look, it a I, I think if the cop. <laughs> yeah, sure. It was kind of. He said I. He said I kind of pegged where he where the player was going to go, and I, I on day three that's hard to do. And uh, ruined the Lions draft in the process, <laughs> all in one false swoop. Uh, yeah. Well. Uh, no, I, I don't think the Cowboys are listening to me based on what their big boy is, <laughs> if you would call that. <laughs> so Very I true. would say probably not. Probably not. Can I ask one more quick one, which is um, Williams and Shark, do they have complementary skill sets, or do you think the fact that they picked Williams means Shark may really just be a one-year rental? That's my last question. Actually, that's a great question yeah. because I think um, – I think a lot of people thought Chark was maybe the X option going forward, right? Like, well, and maybe why they weren't necessarily going to have to take a wide receiver early in this draft is because, well, let's see how Chark works out. And if he turns out, you know, he's, he's got speed, he's got length, uh, he can get some jump balls. Maybe they don't need to spend draft capital on an X. And then they go out and get Jameson Williams. And they're like, Oh, okay. Well now what, what's the plan with Chark? So yeah. What, how does this change Chark's future here in Detroit? For me, I think he's still in the mix um, because he has that potential to play X, but his but Y might be his best position. Whereas, and then Jameson Williams, he played the Y at Alabama, but X might be his best position. So, I actually think that they can complement each other well because of their interchangeability. And then you add the fact that St. Brown can do that as well. And we've talked about this in the past how that's kind of where the wave of the future is going, where you have these position flexible guys that can move into the slot and move outside and move all around. Like I think the three of them long-term would be an incredibly aggressive option. And yeah, I do get that they, they look a little bit redundant because they're both like really, really fast, deep threats. But at the same time, I think they have enough in their arsenal where they can run the 15 uh, 15 yard in right that 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 your x typically runs you know i think both of them can do that and and that can make your offense a little bit more versatile i look i like josh reynolds jared goff likes josh reynolds but josh reynolds is not going to be able to knock chark or williams off a starting job i don't care that he signed for two years like i don't think he's at their level he's a he's a four and probably that's his best spot as wide receiver four. And if he sticks around and, you know, uh, next year, great. I think he, there's a lot of value in having a guy like him, but I think he's, his starting job is, is a placeholder until Williams is, uh, is healthy. And worth noting that Josh Reynolds contract is, is very, very light and only 750,000 of it is, is guaranteed past this year. So, they, they could potentially cut him with and save almost oh, actually over $3 million if he's not part of the long-term plans. And if DJ Chark works out. So I think you're right there. Um, Ryan, anything to add? Yeah, just real quick. I, I think this comes back to, to what I said earlier about like just seeing the baseline of the roster improved. Right. Because I mean, when we were talking about wide receiver four last year, we're talking about like Khalif Raymond, you know what I mean? Like now we're talking about Josh Reynolds being that and it's like, Oh, that's a huge marked improvement. And, and the one other thing I, I want to add real quick is like, yeah, Shark, as, as Eric mentioned, Shark and, you know, J-Mo might seem redundant, but I think that they, I think that they win in different ways. Like, would you agree with that, Eric? Like, they can win in different ways. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I, I'd be a huge fan of DJ Shark, J-Mo, and Amon Ross St. Brown as your core. And, and now that, pretty damn you know, good. yeah, and with 
you know, not JMO's contract isn't going to be really cheap. You, you draft him 12th overall, but having him on a rookie deal, I think, allows you to maybe have yep. the cap space to, to spend on DJ Chark if he if he balls out mm-hmm. this year. I, I mentioned this when I wrote the trade about Thank the, you guys. the trades between. No problem, Nick. Uh, I wrote this one about the uh, comparing a trade between Debo and uh, and the Williams trade, and uh, Debo is expected to make between twenty and twenty four a year, whereas uh, Williams is scheduled to make twenty million over four years. You right. know what I mean? Like, so even though it's a high draft pick, it's still a significant advantage to be able to have him, and it would allow you to be able to spend fourteen million on a shark right. and not even sweat it. Right. And you also have Amonra on his rookie contract for at least a couple more years too. So um, yeah, if they wanted to go out and spend on wide receiver next year, whether it's on Chark or even someone else, they got the room now and they, they, this is, this is what good drafting does. Um, All right, let's move on to our next. uh, Let's see. Jason K. Jason, are you there? Hey guys. Hey, how's it going, man? Yeah, pretty good. Love you guys doing this, so appreciate it. Um, I got an interesting take on the trade that the Lions had. The Athletic did the article about Dallas um, and how they ranked their players. The article basically claimed that Dallas had 14 players that were had first-round grades and 20 players that had second-round grades. So I'm wondering how that changes your view on the Lions trade if they had, I mean, they likely had Jamison Williams with a first round grade. And if they had about 20 players with second round grades, that essentially means that they had um, two players that they were going to take at 32 and 34 that had low second round grades, potentially. So I'm wondering what you guys think of that view of the trade in terms of trading two low second round picks to move up to wherever they had Jamison Williams in the first round. Uh, thanks guys. Yeah, no problem. It's, 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 I like, I like all these kind of ways that we're trying to re look at the, the trade up because I mean, it, it was a huge move in the franchise, right? Like this is worth kind of picking apart as much as possible. So I think maybe this comes down to the philosophical question. Would you rather have two mid to low or mid to high second round players on your team or one top 10 talent. And that's, I mean, that's the, at the crux of the debate there. And listen, if, if you would have asked me this question two weeks ago, I probably would have said two mid tier second round guys, because I don't think this team is close enough to be sacrificing players for one top tier guy. Now, again, as always with all of these, you have to be like, well, there's no guarantee this top 10 talent is a top 10 talent. There's no guarantee either, either of these second round talents are either. I mean, they could be better than second round talents. They could be worse than second round talents, but I guess all things equal, let's just say Jameson Williams is, is a top 10 talent, top 12 talent, whatever you want to say, or the Lions could have gotten two guys that are second round talent. So good starters, but not maybe not elite, elite talent, which is right for the Lions. Yeah, I, I think that's a really insightful, you know, thing that Jason brought up. And, you know, I had, hadn't really, I guess, like, explicitly looked at it that way, right? And, and, yeah. and it's, it's kind of eye-opening. So, um, I, Jeremy, I, I think to your point, right, like you thinking, hey, they could get a, a couple of, like, second-round graded players at, at 32 and 34, and that kind of helps, um, you, know, you know, flesh out and, 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 and put together the defense a little bit more. 
versus Brad Holmes's approach. And I think that what you're seeing is this guy, this dude values wide receivers, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like let's, let's not get things twisted just because he took it, you know, Amon Ra in the fourth round. Um, I mean, the Debo Samuel stuff, the, you know, wanting to trade up for Jamar Chase, like actually trading up and getting Jameson Williams. Like, I think that this goes to show that like Brad Holmes puts a premium on this position, right? And I think that he looked at this opportunity, right? Because you have this run of wide receivers that go off the board with, you know, London and and Wilson and Alave. And he gets himself in a position to take a guy who has a first round grade and can be a difference maker. So I, I, I think that there is inherently more value in that because at the end of the day, this is a this is a star driven league, right? Like sure. I mean, look 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 at the way that the Tennessee Titans got absolutely raked over the coals for what they did with trading AJ Brown and essentially replacing him with Traylon Burks. Like I think everybody for the most part was like, man, that's a huge downgrade. And, 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 you know, I, you, you can't look at JMO as any other way than that's a huge upgrade for the Detroit lions. So yeah. I, I think I'm more so in favor of going up, getting the blue chip first round talent than, than kind of sitting back. Yeah. And, and I kind of go back and forth too on it a little bit just because I mean, we were on, I don't know what podcast, if it was this one or First Bite or, or just they a regular podcast. Together. <laughs> they all kind of blend together. But but one of the things we were saying is, like, this team has good depth. They don't have the high-end talent. Yep. That's the one thing that they've been missing. And we just, I mean, we just had a whole conversation on this podcast right now saying this team has not had a lot of pro bowlers. And when they have had pro bowlers, they're not at premier positions. Well, now they potentially have a couple of premier positions premier players at premier positions. And that's something that I think we all agreed was missing on this, on this roster. One of the things that we talked about was uh, pre-draft was that if the right player fell and we were at the time we were talking about Kyle Hamilton and we said, if Kyle Hamilton slid, would the lions go up to get him? And we all agreed that that would be an okay, a good strategy because you're able to get a premier player um, it's a second premier player in the, in, in the draft. And I think we've, we've essentially seen that happen. It just wasn't for Hamilton. And I think we all right. kind of expected it to be Hamilton, right? When they moved up. Right. Wow. So some of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, I'm sorry. I don't want to open yeah, wounds no. there, but um, a little too soon, but, <laughs> but when we talk about trading down, we always talk about you can only trade back so far because there's a drop off in, yep. in the talent pool. Yeah. Well, if that talent elite talent pool expands, trading up to get to that expand that talent pool is equally as uh, in, intelligent in my mind as it is, you know, trying to drop back and stay within it. Like, is if you're getting guys that are in the elite talent range then you're doing your job as a GM. And if you can get two of them, my goodness, you're doing exactly what you need to do. And I know that the sacrifice comes by losing a couple of these back-end guys that could potentially be starters. But you, when you're drafting for value, when the opportunity is there for an elite player to acquire them, you have to do it. Or, you know, you, that is how you make your franchise, take your franchise to the next step. Like you can find starters in a lot of different ways. You can trade, you can get them in free agency. You can, you, you know, you can, you can get them down the road. Like, but when you have the opportunity to grab an elite guy, I can't fault that at all. 
I, I love that approach to be able to say, if there are 14 elite players in this class or 14 guys that are like a, a, a tier above everybody else, and of the 32 teams, you got you got two of them, that's a win. You know what I mean? That's that's a win right there. And you know the Jets got two, the Giants got two, the Lions got two, and every and, and there's a whole bunch of teams, 20 teams that didn't get any. And so while those teams got better, they're not taking their teams up a notch, whereas I think the Lions did. <laughs> and, and the Washington Commanders got Jahan Dotson. <laughs> like that's but the, like legitimately like that's the price you pay for trading yeah. back right like yeah, that that, that is sure. what that's eric's point that's yeah. you know what jason just brought up that's it to a t like the drop off in talent from from jmo to Jahan dotson massive. is massive yeah. yeah fair enough okay thanks jason um, yeah i just got one thing real quick sure eric i'm wondering how big of a priority team captain will be in your rankings next year Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, one of the things that I do is I do track it, but the problem is there's so many guys that are team captains nowadays. You know what I mean? But yeah. my, I, I guess what we're going to have to start doing is identifying how many have been captains for more than one year, right? <laughs> because, like, right. H- Hutchinson was a two-time captain. Pascal was a three-time captain. Uh, Rodriguez was, like, almost yeah. all of them, right? It, it, it's crazy. Um, so, I mean, we – what was it? I'm trying to remember. Was it Mayhew that used to favor guys that were married, right? Or something like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> wasn't yeah. it? Wasn't it Mayhew? Maybe, or, yeah. Yeah. Or was it Schwartz? I forget which one at the time. Right. Like there was one draft where, where like all but one was, was, a, was married. And so they were like, they're drafting mature kids. Now right. it's like, you know, so it, there's always some angle. You know, last year it was the Pac-12. They, but wow. Holmes only likes the Pac-12, so <laughs> he, he he scouted on the West Coast when he was actually settled in Atlanta or whatever. But, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, narratives, but but obviously, I, I I don't think I don't think this is something to just brush over as a phase, right? Because no, obviously, no, obviously this is a character concern is is huge. Uh, yes. they, they they like. Guys who are mature, guys that are all about football. And here's the thing: I don't I, like. I don't necessarily think you have to be a leader. You just have to devote your life to this game and show that you devote the, your life to this game, and 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 they'll they'll love you. And, and isn't isn't that line just so? It, it's so interesting to consider, Jeremy, because like that's what Patricia wanted, but he wanted it in a different way. You know right. what I mean? Like yeah, it, like it's it just he a wanted small... submission. Right. So <laughs> that's a great way of putting it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I think we're going to call it there. We've gone well over 90 minutes at this point and it's a superb day. And I think I want to let you guys and everyone listening go enjoy the rest of the day. Uh, sorry we couldn't get to everybody, but appreciate all the support that you guys have had over the past week. I know uh, our work hasn't gone unseen. And, and to all of you that have reached out either on social media or this or email, I appreciate all the, the love that we've gotten over the past couple weeks. Um, appreciate all the work that Eric and Ryan and the rest of our awesome staff has done. And we're going to keep going, man. Only a couple weeks, or I'm sorry, a couple months uh, before training camp. We got a rookie minicamp. Com- oh, we programming note, rookie minicamp is next week. So we will not be doing a Spotify Live on Saturday. Um, we'll see if maybe we reschedule that or just kick it down the week. Um, but until then, thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for all the support. 